Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. So it's Luke 10, 38 to 42. Uh, story of Mary and Martha. And it says, starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Uh, but Martha was distracted from much, with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. Uh, but the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and, and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's read this one more time. They went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted <clears throat> with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken. Listen, I've studied this passage for a while now. Um, you've probably heard this passage preached off a couple times. There's a couple questions that come to mind. First of all, why, why in the world is this passage recorded for us? Why would this story that just seems 
like some sort of sibling rivalry be uh, recorded and put after one of the greatest parables that probably uh, most people know about the Good Samaritan. Uh, but as we, as we can continue in our series entitled Fulfilled, I need to say this, that this message this morning could possibly be the most important thing for our body to hear as we've been talking about being sent, as we've been talking about being agents of peace. This is probably one of the most vital things that if we don't grab as a body, nothing else will matter. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've discussed what it means to be sent. We've talked about who we might be sent to, who we uh, could be agents of peace for. And last week, uh, Luke did a great job of leading us through one of the most powerful parables of the New Testament and the Good Samaritan. But if you've been tracking with us, you might be asking, um, what are the next steps? Uh, how are we supposed to actually tangibly be agents of peace? And, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us are actually already on mission to some degree, but here, we need to step back for a second as a body. See, all of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, they, they, they need to be paused because there's something essential, there's something necessary that all of us actually just, we need to hear, but we also need to embody and put in practice into our lives. And as we get into it, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think honestly about it. I want you to ponder this question, okay? So I'm gonna, I want you to, to hear me because you're gonna have to communicate a short answer to your neighbor, so it's important, all right? So what is, what, here's the question. I think I actually have it on the screen here. What is the one activity that you know, if you did superbly well uh, and consistently, would have significant positive results in your personal life? And then on the other side of that, what is the one activity that you know if you did superbly well and consistently would have significant positive results in your professional or work life or if you're a student. So think about that. What is the one activity that you know if you did serve superbly well would have significant positive results in your personal life? Think about it. Talk to your name. You got 30 seconds to ponder that question. You ready? Go. Come on, you gotta tell your neighbor. What is it? Nothing? Are you guys perfect? You don't need to do anything? There's nothing that would help you grow? Um, and then the one is professional and work life. Truly important in our lives. Um, 
my first year of marriage, it's been the story of my life, of like learning how to put my wife first in every capacity. How easy it is to let other things creep into that reality. But the real risk here, right, we can all come up with these different reasons why, but there's a real risk when the most important things are neglected because we're overly busy or we're overly distracted. There's no nice way to put this that, see, Eric Hoffer says that uh, we are actually all warned not to waste time, uh, but we're actually really brought up to waste our lives. And he says that, you know, this is evident in the tragedy of many people who in the first half of their lives spend their health looking for wealth, and in the last half of their life spend their wealth looking for health. But as humans, we have this tendency to be really distracted and not be able to pursue or, or, we, or, or we get distracted from what really matters in this life. And, and we might not have the same distractions as the people that are in this story, but Martha also feels this tension play out. And this tension makes way for Jesus to speak one of the most important messages to Martha. And it also makes way for Jesus to speak one of the most important messages to you and me. So in this text, starting with verse 38, it says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether this was planned and Martha knew about this and it was on her calendar for three months or if it was a complete surprise, but I do know that it wasn't a surprise for Jesus, right? And nevertheless, we see here in verse 38 that Martha invited him into her home. Something most people don't consider was actually how many people were also included in that general invitation. Like, it wasn't just a one-on-one -on -one thing. There was a group of people that were being invited into our house, and we don't know for sure how many people were in this group, but I guarantee most of us would feel somewhat overwhelmed if you were one of those now hosting uh, them. And But for the sake of this story, let's just say that uh, we'll aim low and say that 15 to 20 people were now uh, in Martha's house, right? Uh, now, how would you feel if... Uh, that many people arrive at your house with Jesus, what would be your first reaction? Now, it's true, there's probably natural Marys and natural Marthas in here, so I get that. But when we have people over to my house, right, uh, you just need to ask my wife what really tends to happen, because when, when we know people are, are, are coming over, things tend to get cleaned, and that list that I've had on my to-do list for a while starts to get checked off pretty quickly. And, I remember one day we were planning on having company and I was taking care of some of those things. Um, and my wife took notice and she asked me, so in order for things to get done around here, should we just have people over all the time? <laughs> and I was like, well, there's actually a lot of truth to that. Um, so some of you could probably identify with me there. Um, and and, and it, it's true, but, but I, I was raised under the roof of one of the most hospitable women in the world. And, my default by nature is to have our home look presentable, to uh, have it clean and tidy, but enough about me, right? Back to the text. Uh, in verse 39 to 40, it says that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now pause for a second because... What we need to see is that this five-verse story uses two verses to make a contrast between the two sisters. And if half of this narrative, pretty much, in this passage is dedicated to creating a discrepancy or description um, between these two, it has to be very important. And from these two verses, we can already tell that both of them are doing very different things. And so it already seems as though Martha was the type of person who wanted everything 
just right, I can feel the pain, right? But she, she, she must be thinking, you know, the living room needs to be cleaned and dusted, the drapes need to be so, we need to make sure that the pillows match the flowers, we gotta make sure we vacuum and do all these things. And then there's Mary, right? Mary, just to be honest, just seems to not care at all about these little details. And so I see her as someone who, you know, probably doesn't mind the disarranged cushions and things not always in their exact place. And I just have to ask, does anybody else have a really hard time understanding those types of people? I do. You guys, some of you are afraid to say it because you know the person's right beside you, right? Uh, but anyway, um, this story reveals that Mary preferred to sit and interact with the company than go through all of that work to make a, a dainty meal. Whether or not I'm reading too much into this, here's something that um, I, want, I want you to realize right off the bat, okay? Both Mary and Martha in this story have the same amount of time with Jesus. If you think about it, they had the same amount of time with Jesus. They both were given the same opportunity when he arrived. And, but they chose completely different ways to use that time. And see, Mary chose to sit at his feet. Martha chose to start taking care of all the things necessary to serve her guests. And, and we see that Martha starts to become really overwhelmed. She starts to become overwhelmed and anxious about everything that needs to happen, all the, all the lists of things that need to be done, whether it comes to cooking and cleaning or whatever the case may be. Uh, but not only is she overwhelmed with the task list, she's also, uh, it's also because she's frustrated that she's left to do it alone. I mean, reasonable, right? And, and I think it would be a common assumption that if these people, like Mary, lived with you, you would expect them to also take care of that place. But, but does anyone else feel as though she's kind of justified in her feelings? Like I would be. But if you really stop to think about this, you'll realize that she's actually overwhelmed by the agenda that she created, right? Like this text doesn't say Mary was out welcoming people in, right? If you go back to this, it says in verse 38, Martha welcomed them into her home. And so she was so preoccupied and she was so worried about all the things that need to be done that, that she let her frustration get the best of her. And, and we see her anxiety creep in the, into the surface as she delivers one of the most passive-aggressive statements you can make. And out of her frustration, out of her anxiety, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Listen, even though Mary and Jesus are both within earshot of her, she decides to attack Mary or come at Mary by speaking through Jesus. Like, Isaac, for me, man, can you just tell David that I don't think he should be sitting here listening to me? There's a lot of things around this place, actually, that need to get done. Can you tell that message to David? Thanks. Appreciate it. See what, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like that reality. There's, that's not normal. That is not healthy, right? And so... What, what, does this, what does this statement tell us? See, we can, we can see that she's obviously bothered and, and that she even questions whether or not Jesus really cares. But more than that, it tells us that Martha was out of touch with reality. Like, the things that she was distracted by, the things that she was flustered by, they, they messed her up so much that she starts making statements that actually have no connection to real life. Uh, to what really matters, and, and the reality that she's not grabbing, and I think a lot of us have struggled to grab, is that Jesus was in her home. See, her creator, her sustainer, redeemer, 
the God that is infinite and cannot be appropriately defined in human language is dining in her house. Do you see this? She's missing that completely. Let me put it this way. See, Martha can only see the things that she needs to get done. She completely loses touch with reality and the most important thing, Jesus, her bridegroom, who's on mission right now to the cross to, to, to make this marriage finalized. You look at this. Interestingly enough, Martha's distraction and her worry they actually leave no room. She's trying to be really hospitable, but they actually leave no room uh, for the most important aspect of hospitality, right? Like that, that important aspect is actually having gracious, full-on attention to this person that you are hosting. And so I think to myself, right, and, and when she, she actually breaks almost all the rules of hospitality, by trying to embarrass her sister in front of the guests and by asking her guests to intervene in this family dispute. But listen, Jesus was in the flesh at her table and she was still filled with anxiety and frustration. If that doesn't make you a little nervous or shaking your boots a little bit, I don't know what will. Because I have to ask, is it really that easy to get distracted that you can miss out on God himself in your home? My friends, it certainly is. And I want you to think about this, okay? I know I'm challenging the way you do things usually, but I want you to close your eyes. And I'll call you out even if I don't know your name. I'm just kidding. But close your eyes, and I want you to picture something, okay? Imagine you came over to my house. Imagine you came over to the most beautiful place, Pasadena, Maryland. <laughs> not supposed to be funny. And came into our home, all right? Keep those eyes close. You came into our home for a meal. You pull up to our house. It's a nice, quaint townhome. And you enter in. Imagine that Sarah and I are cooking and you can smell it. And you are sitting there patiently waiting in our living room. Giving us the benefit of the doubt, imagine that we finished with the prep work. We set the food at the table and we all sit down together. Imagine we pray. And then as soon as we start eating, Sarah and I are just on our phones the whole time, completely caught up in the conversations and the tasks. We may be having a conversation with you, but we aren't making eye contact. And our responses are either half-hearted, shallow, or we remark with a, what did you say? Now take it one step further, keeping your eyes closed. If you are married, think about your spouse. If you're single, think about the spouse of your dreams. Now imagine your home, and imagine he or she comes home to the place in which you guys are living. Picture them walking through the door, and as soon as he or she walks in that way, they are preoccupied with chores and work. They never actually take a moment to sit down and talk with you. They're just constantly frustrated and busy with all the things that need to be done and accomplished. Imagine how you would feel. You can open your eyes. Now maybe for a while you would justify it by saying things like, these things are good and they're necessary. Well, I'm glad they did my laundry because I needed my laundry to be done anyway. Um, but it wouldn't take long for you guys to start to realize that what should actually really matter the most, the most important thing, your relationship and your marriage is actually taking a backseat to all the things that need to get done. You see, the word distracted that we find in this passage actually means that we're being 
pulled apart. So it has this definition, this, this word reveals to us uh, what happens when someone is not fully present, when they're distracted. Um, and, and what ends up happening here in this case is that it's almost as if we're being pulled in two different directions. It's like we're ripping at the seams and have that picture of Woody in Toy Story when his arm is ripped off, right? And, and the reason this matters is because all of our lives are meant to be seamless and held together. But the seamlessness of our lives can only be maintained when we're seamlessly in relationship with Jesus. And, and this is the tension we see in this story that Martha is so distracted. She's such a distracted bride who doesn't, is not fully present with her bridegroom. And, and Jesus, with her bridegroom Jesus, and as a result, um, she's overwhelmed. She's frustrated. She's anxious. Um, and she's tearing at the seams of a life that was meant to be seamless. And see, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, has come to marry his bride. But instead of, instead of spending time with her, or with him, and becoming one, she's actually caught up, anxious, about doing things for him. Now, we can make a whole series just on that alone, but the feeling I want you to understand and grab right now is that of a spouse who's not fully present with her bridegroom. And I fear most of us, like Martha, are lost in the distractions which maybe, maybe we've actually chosen to partake in. See, we may know what really matters, but we're actually present with other things, other distractions, but the story does not end there. You see, in this story, Mary finds herself at Jesus' feet, and Martha has plenty of other things occupying her mind, and this is where things get really interesting. Because in verse 41 and 42, it says that the Lord actually answered Martha. And he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Notice that he doesn't actually address what she's doing as bad things. He's just saying he's got it a little mixed up. You see... Jesus is saying something like this. Now, Martha, just stop and think about life. There are not really that many necessary things, and, and you're concerned about a lot of these details, but you could live without them if you had to. On the other hand, there's one thing that you just can't do without, and Mary's found it. See, Augustine gives another figurative interpretation, and he says, why was Mary's the better part? Because she preferred the one thing to the many. Many things were created, but there was but one creator. And if, and if the things created were very good, how excellent must he be who created them? You see, what really fascinates me is actually how the story ends. We don't know anything about Mary's response or what happened really after all of this or after Jesus addressed her. But there's one thing that we do know, that Jesus, more than anything else, um, Jesus he was, he was concerned not just with what she was doing, he was really ultimately concerned with her to be fully present with him. See, it's as if her response wasn't even the point of the story. The point was that Jesus was on a mission to marry Martha. And Martha, flustered and anxious, distracted by serving him, completely forgot who was in her house and why he was in there. He wanted to become one with her. He wanted her to understand. He wants us to understand that it's not about what we do, but who we are becoming. See, it's, it's always going to be intimacy over activity. It's always going to be being before doing. 
And our society has lost this. We, the truth be told, a lot of the local church has too, but God is not nearly as interested in our efficiency as he actually is in our faith. You see, the dangerous side of distraction happens in the shifting of our attention from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. And, and our fundamental and most dangerous problem in distraction is actually being distracted from God himself. We have to realize that our tendency to shift our attention and our orientation from the greatest object in existence to countless lesser ones. We have all have this tendency, and, and we all do this, but I hate to break it to you guys. The Bible calls this idolatry. When you elevate something that you completely miss out on being, when you are so focused on doing that you forget even the person that has called us to do these things, if we lose this, we forsake everything else. When Jesus says there's one thing necessary, he means that there is one thing necessary. He is reminding us that there is one thing in life that's worth actually being seriously concerned about. And that's the relationship of the human soul, your soul, with God. The bride cannot afford to be distracted. Right? While serving and hospitality are all great things, and I trust me, I love those things too. It is very easy for all of those things to become distractions, and those distractions can turn into idolatry. That's, that's the danger of distraction. Anything in this world, good or bad, can distract us from the one thing necessary. And before you know it, you don't even know who the bridegroom is anymore. And you question like Mary if he even cares. All of a sudden, we're disconnected from reality, just like Martha, who had the bridegroom, the creator, the great high priest, the indescribable God in the flesh at her table and still missing. Like Martha, we begin to feel things in our life start to tear at the seams. And we even question whether or not God cares, and we are frustrated with our own agendas. But when we are distracted by good or bad things, guys, we are being pulled apart. Our seamless life is now being torn. And our work, our worship, our ministry, the things and the services that we are a part of, that were meant to be intimately connected and seamless, are now being separated. And so it tells us, you know, in Colossians chapter 1, for in him all things were created, things on heaven and in earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Seamless. Listen, we can't be disciples of Jesus if we are not being with Jesus. So as churches all over, we talk about being sent being on mission, being agents of peace. We talk about church planning. We talk about missions, all this stuff. We had to start with the story of Mary and Martha because fulfillment will never be found in the things that you do. Fulfillment is only found in the person that you're becoming. And so before anyone decides to go anywhere, before anyone decides to go overseas on mission, you have to ask yourself, are we actually just idolizing the mission because it's been separated? Are we distracted? Are we finding fulfillment in the mission or the things that we do? Or are we actually finding it, sitting at Jesus' feet in the one thing necessary? See, becoming one with Jesus is the whole reason he came, right? 
And there's three things I want you to hear from this podcast. Thanks to Jacob this week, by the way, for sending this to me from Pete Scazzaro, I think is how you say his name. Three things. You cannot give what you do not possess. What you do is important, but who you are is even more important. And the state that you are in right now is the state that you will actually give to others. All three of these things are impacted by people who choose to either be present with Jesus or do things for him. I understand life shuffles, and, and this has been a season where things are all mixed up. We don't priorities seem to be all over the place. But there's only one thing necessary. Have you ever heard the phrase, any dead fish can float downstream? Listen, to swim against the current of our times, we must actually be a body who are actually spiritually alive. Like, we can't just do the mission and pretend like we do, and everything's great. As the New Testament portrays it, real life in Christ is countercultural, and the world defines who we are by what we do, but the Word centers on who we are in Christ and tells us to express that new identity in what we do. See, being and doing are clearly interrelated, but the biblical order is so critical. What we do should flow out of who we are, who we are becoming, not the other way around. Without being before doing, it's not possible to be a disciple. We'll get distracted. Therefore, we'll just kind of do things flippantly. Everything becomes head knowledge. There's no depth. There's shallowness to everything that we do. And there's real risk to this because when those distractions make us lose sight of reality, eventually that distraction becomes your reality. But a person who's being before doing operates from a place of emotional, and spiritual fullness. They are deeply aware of themselves, their bodies, others. Their being with God is actually sufficient to sustain their doing for Him. And they're highly self-aware. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. Their cup is constantly overflowing. Listen, are you overwhelmed this morning? Are you carrying a heavy yoke? Do you feel burdened by the agenda you may or may not have created? You may be distracted from the one thing necessary, but let me just ask you, how consistently have you spent time just abiding and being with Jesus? If it's the one thing necessary, how is, is, that, is that seen and evident in our life on a daily basis? Listen, if, have, have we let the agendas, have we let the sports teams, the extracurriculars or the jobs distract us from what really matters? Has the success and plan for your children's future become a distraction from Jesus who came to become one with you? Students and college students, it may seem like you had your whole life ahead of you, but when was the last time you focused more on abiding and becoming like Jesus before you dive into your studies, before you dive into service or athletics and the arts? Listen. You can know you're distracted when you're not hearing Jesus' voice. You can know you're distracted when you're looking in other directions. See, being with God, being transformed by God, only happens when we are fully present with Him. It's in order to be sent, in order to be on mission, we have to be with Jesus. See, it has to be the number one priority. You can't let anything get in the way. And, and I'm going to close with this. In, in the words of 
of uh, Peter Spizarro again, there's a couple things that we need to do to make sure that as a body, we're not idolizing the mission. We're not actually distracted from the bridegroom. That we are actually present and being with Jesus. There's other ways to do this, but here they are. First, as a local body today, we need to make a radical decision. You see, as a local body, we need to make a personal and corporate decision to always be before we do. And in order for us to be agents of peace, to actually be on mission and sent into our workplaces um, with the power of Christ, we need a clean, we need a total break from our present habits, rhythms that distract us from that one thing necessary. We have to decide that we would rather die than actually go back to that old way of life. You see, we, we have to monitor ourselves daily weekly, monthly, we need to allow each other to speak into each other's lives and be like, man, it looks like you are working really hard right now and you're running on E. When was the last time you were actually spending time with Jesus? As a body, this is why discipleship bands and community groups are actually so important because we can see into each other's lives and be like, man, it looks like you're working from a place of anxiousness and you look exhausted. Secondly, I want us to understand that we need to feel our feelings. As we take time to sit at Jesus' feet, we actually need to be more in tune with what's going on inside of us. So if you think about it, we need to take a journey almost inward and come to terms with a lot of these feelings and untamed passions and emotions and motives. Before coming at God because you feel a certain way like Martha, ask yourself him, ask yourself and him why you're feeling the way that you do. Why am I so angry? Why am I so defensive? Why am I avoiding this conflict? One of the biggest I've learned lessons I've learned recently is how our bodies actually do tell a story. And our bodies have way more to do with our faith than I've ever realized. But when we are not in touch with actually what's happening inside of us and we're just running and running and running, we're not in touch with reality. And in fact, I would say that we're living in an illusion. And I want to make sure as a local body we are not living in an illusion. Make sure to look for people who can help you advance in being before doing. Thirdly, integrate silence. One of the most beneficial spiritual disciplines for me has been solitude and silence. I pray that we're a body marked not by our mission, but by how much time we spend with the Lord. I, if it wasn't for silence and solitude, I honestly don't know where I would be. And if you've not read uh, the Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, I want to challenge our body to pick up that book and read it because it will change the way that you see your life and the way faith is embodied. Silence and stillness need to become one of the core spiritual practices as well as other spiritual disciplines. But if we're going to do for God out of our being with God, that is something that you cannot replace. And fourth, for us to understand communing with God all day. We've become in a place where we've, we've separated our daily agendas and our devotions, and we get into Scripture at a certain time, and then we move in and we take Jesus into the workplace, right? We have to work on our familiarity with God's presence because it's not about taking Jesus into the workplace. See, if you didn't know, he's already there. And, and your time being with God actually enables you to start to see this more clearly and live it out. And so Brother Lawrence, who was a monk, lived in the 16th century, he wrote this. He says, the time of our busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. 
and in the noise and in the clatter of my kitchen while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in a great tranquility as if I were on my knees. See, that's the desire I have for my life. That's the desire I have for your life. We're all the bride of Christ, one body, so we have to make sure that we don't miss the mark on the one thing necessary. For the sake of myself and the people around you in this room, being versus doing is all about communion. And so today, I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to enter the table. I want you to think about the portrayal of what communion means.